listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about gendered books. Gendered books with a very special guest, actor and author, Constance Wu. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I, okay, so people listening to this podcast, um, uh, yesterday, we were recording this way ahead of time. Yesterday, we did our readathon. People loved it. Mallory, people love that readathon. We had such a great time. People got online. We talked to people on Instagram. We talked to Max Fun members on Slack. We talked to those Max Fun members for like an hour and a half. We had two Zoom parties for our Maximum Fun members, and it was a blast. We talked about the books we were reading in the readathon. A lot of people had their very first readathon. It was their, very, their, it was their first, and they wanted to talk about it. It was a blast. Had a blast. It was a blast. And I started reading a book during that called The Book Eaters by uh, Sun Yi Dean. Um, it was exciting because someone else was reading Book Eaters too, so we got to discuss it. Yeah, there was, was a few exciting. people who were reading Book Eaters. Yes, so this has been on my list for a while. It is described as horror, but I would say it's like fantasy slash horror. It um, It is about a group of people who live on the Yorkshire Moors. Spooky place already, Ooh. here we are. And they eat books. So when they- Like physically eat physically, them. Physically, they, they always say they take out their book teeth and eat. Which I don't know what that means. Oh my but god! What they have book teeth and they eat. And when wait, they so eat, do they like take a chomp out of the whole thing, or do they like rip yeah. a page out? No, chomp out of the whole thing because they those book teeth like can a, get like through a, a cover, like a sandwich. Yeah, the the book teeth can get through a cover, which is pretty I great. Book teeth. And once they eat it, they know the content inside. So when they wow. they like as children, they can just eat eat a bunch of dictionaries. And now it's like they read those and they they maintain or retain that uh, information. So. It's a group of people, they're, and they're, it's, it's all run by, like, six families, and they, they uh, all are book eaters, and they all have to, like, intermarry to stay alive. And there is um, a woman named Devin who's part of one of the families, and um, it kind of goes back and forth, a flashback between her life growing up, where she's, like, a book eater, and she's uh, getting married because they all have arranged marriages. And the women can also only have two kids, and then they are unable to have other kids just because of their biology, which I'm sure is strange because of Do they have their books book eating. for children? Uh, they, they do not have books for children. They have um, book eaters, or sometimes they give birth to something called mind eaters, who are people who have to eat Brains. brains and they also wow. that when you eat the brain you maintain you retain some of that person's personality you are part of that you like know some of the stuff they know and like weird. it's very weird and so it goes back and forth between that and like a present day where she first of all the part of Matt she's about to head to Edinburgh which we know we love an Edinburgh oh God, drop the buzziest um, place <laughs> for books in 2022 and she's with a mind eater child and they're kind of like escaping so it's going back and forth between whatever happened to her that made her want to escape and the current uh, moment and um, she has a brother who's involved, but it's great. So people who love like secret families, secret lines of of uh, people living uh, and multiple timelines, multiple timelines. This is all, for all of y'all. Uh, what are you reading, Molly? I am reading a very Buzzy Glasser book right now. It's a perfect end of summer book. Uh, it's called Flying Solo by Linda Holmes. And I think there's a new. This is a new notch in my wheelhouse. It is. People who have someone related to them die and give and like leave them something mm -hmm. that leads them on a mystery. Yes. I love this. It's about this woman. She is in kind of a weird place in life because she's about to turn 40 and her wedding just got canceled. So what she thought her life was about to be is taken a, a right hand, right right angle, right angle turn. And uh, she's like, okay, well, what she's trying to figure out what she wants to do for the rest of her life now that she's not going to be married to this person. And her great aunt passes away. Her great aunt, who was like really cool and very eccentric and like lived a really cool life and she has left her her estate. So she has to go back home to this small main town. You know, I love a New England yes, book. Yes, of course. And she like going through her aunt's things and she finds all these love letters, but she doesn't know who they're from. Like who uh, one one side of the love letters is our aunt, but she doesn't know who the person that she was writing to. And she finds this weird wooden duck. And while, you know, as she continues to go through her aunt's estate and go through her things and trying to figure out, like, who's this person she was writing love letters to, the duck disappears. Oh. So she, like, it's sort of wrapped up in this, like, mystery trying to figure out, like, this, these parts of her aunt's life and who took this duck and who was, uh, who were these love letters to and from. And it's just really lovely. It's a lovely end of summer book because, it, you know, it takes place in Maine in this, like, picturesque setting. It's just really wonderful. And People I'm, love this book. 
I'm only a little bit into it, but I am so, so loving it. So that's Flying Solo by Linda Holmes. And mine is The Book Eaters by Sunyin Dean. We want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. A lot of folks wrote in about reading outside. Kenzie said, I just finished listening to this week's episode and I cannot agree more that reading near a body of water is the absolute best summer Truly activity. Is. Very much is. I made a summer reading bingo for my workplace and read outside got the top left square. I wanted to share the item that has absolutely changed my outdoor reading life this summer. This lounge chair with the face opening. So it's basically a lounge chair that looks like a massage chair. And as you lay on your stomach and yes. there's a hole. Sean where sent the... this to us as well. Yes. Didn't you, Sean? Yes. This Didn't was you a... send us a lounge, this lounge chair that has a face opening? Maybe. Like a massage chair. Maybe you didn't. Yeah, okay, I, I think it was. I think it was Sean. Okay. Um, so you can lie down and with the and put, stick your face in the hole and put your book underneath it. Mm-hmm. Kenzie says it's super light and portable. I got the bright pink and it's extremely cute. It perfectly solves the reading on your stomach problem. Now that I write that, I'm wondering if this podcast was the first place I heard about it. Maybe it seemed too good to be true the first time I heard about it, but I can confirm it's amazing. I was worried about how the face opening would work with glasses, but fortunately I'm nearsighted, so my face was close enough to the ground to read and sit from a straw without trying to wear glasses. Thanks for the top tier podcast. And I hope you both get to enjoy many more summer reading activities. Bria, we got to put this on the wish it's list. It's on the wish list. Oh, my it's God. On, I want to try this out. It, but, I put it on there. But you can't eat snacks through the hole. Well, we don't know until we try it out. Well, we, what we found out during the readathon is boba. Boba tea is a great reading snack. So you People can People si- love boba. I love boba. So you can get, uh, get a boba tea, and then you can have a snack and a drink at the same time. Sip it through the straw. Read. Wow. Oh, I, I want to test this out. This sounds amazing. McKinsey wrote in, I had an aha moment when listening to the most recent episode. Maybe even hot book tip worthy? Wow. You mentioned getting sand everywhere while at the beach, which, having grown up in Florida, I can 1 billion percent relate. When the charging port on e-readers was mentioned, I thought about phone cases that have plugs to cover the micro USB slots and wondered if there were standalone plugs. There totally are. This is a hot book too. dust plugs. And it, <laughs> dust plug feels like something that's like a, a, like a, a weather occurrence. Um, and it feels like you can get get them for all sorts of ports so they should work for e-readers i even found ones with little cute little charms attached them on etsy of course etsy has that that is a really cool idea we should put that on the wish list as well because i want you should try this out yes that does sound very good um etsy truly has everything (laughs) there was a woman on our max fun uh zoom um who had book earrings and we were like where'd you get those and she's like etsy obviously yeah, they were bisexual. They were three books. Oh, yes, yeah, right. They were bisexual. With a purple, pink, and blue. And yes. I was like, are those bisexual book earrings? And they were like, oh, yeah. yeah of got them off Etsy. Etsy. This is a really, really hot book tip, and we definitely got to test this out. This is like a game changer for beach readers. Yes, yes. And then Jesse wrote in to say, I'm currently listening to your August 4th episode. I was at the beach last week and transported my book in a bathing suit sack. I posted about this in the book tech part of the Slack channel on August 3rd with pictures. It worked out really well and gave me some peace of mind when I wasn't reading it and my kids were playing around on our blanket. Thank you for making me excited about reading again. So this is a, it's like a nylon sack that is waterproof that you can, that looks kind of like, you know, remember those old like, book or uh pencil bags like it was like a yeah like a little like it wasn't like a pencil box but it was like a bag where you can put all your your school shit in there uh-huh it i looks- also added this to our 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 wish list this is great yeah no it's i, I think it could be really good it will keep that e-reader or book safe from the elements and yeah. if you also get it wet it'll keep everything else if you get a soggy book you can put it in there <laughs> and it won't get everything else wet or well if you put it, the book in there it won't get soggy that's the point, I guess. Oh, okay. that's, rather, that's the better point. The better <laughs> I mean, look at all these hot outside reader hacks are amazing. Uh, so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Before we talk about gendered books, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Green Chef. What's Green Chef? Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal company which makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. So I don't know about you folks, but I personally think that fall is the most delicious season. And with Green Chef, you can elevate your dinner experience with their fall's finest collection. You get a curated selection of farmstead favorites, fresh seasonal ingredients and premium proteins 
There are so many great things in a Green Chef bag. There are time-saving recipes, which are packed with fresh produce and vibrant flavors that give you more opportunities to get outside and make the most of sunny days before summer's end. And really, what I love about a Green Chef bag is that it's all the things that you need for dinner. You don't have to spend time trying to figure out what you want with your partner, your significant other, maybe just yourself. You don't have to worry about running to the store and picking up that weird random ingredient that you forgot that you didn't have. It's so easy, and you get to choose from 24 recipes weekly with the option to mix and match meals from different preferences. Say you want vegan one day, gluten-free the next day, paleo one day. It's pretty awesome. Green Chef's exciting new ingredients, new recipes, and delicious meals support a healthy lifestyle, which means you get to eat well without sacrificing tastes. You've probably heard me talk on this show before that I do not like to cook. It is very stressful for me. I never know what to pick. I don't like figuring out what I'm going to eat, finding recipes. It's, it's, it's all very, very stressful for me. But Green Chef takes all that stress away. So if you are like me and you have a hard time figuring out what you want to eat, you have a hard time cooking, but you want to eat healthier, you want to try out a new diet, you want to eat more balanced meals, whatever you want out of your diet, Green Chef can help. So all you need to do right now is go to greenchef.com slash glasses135 and use code glasses135 to get $135 off off across five boxes and your first box ships free. So that's greenchef.com slash glasses135 and code glasses135 to get $135 off across five boxes. Glasses. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast... We're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. talking about something that most readers grow up internalizing, something that affects many reading lives and you might not even realize it. It's gendered books and gendered reading. How do you kick that shit to the curb and get it out of your reading choices? We are here to help along with a special guest, our first in-studio guest in almost three years. Well, yeah, since pandemic time. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and that makes sense. Wow, I'm flattered, guys. You should be. You should be. Constance, you're a, a widely acclaimed actor, but now you're an author. Yes. And also, I just have to note, um, you, Bria Grant, are one of my oldest friends in L.A. I know mm -hmm. it's very weird to say to talk to, like, interview you, but... Um, uh, and not oldest as in she's old. But yeah, yeah like, I am the, old, I, I am the <laughs> oldest woman you know. <laughs> old lady Bria old, Grant who lives in the school. Old swamp. woman. No, um, I met you, like, right when I moved to L.A. But Is that yeah. right? When did you move here? 2009, I think, the summer. Of oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Because yeah. we took an acting class together, and, yeah, we met. Still and we're friends. still friends with here a lot of those people. I'm thanked in the back of the book, which is, you know. Yes. I didn't even think about it. Of and then course I saw you are. It. I was very excited. Anyway, you wrote a book. Yes, I did. And I read it, and it was fantastic. Do you want to tell people about it? Yeah, what's it called? Um, sure. It's called Making a Scene. Great and some title. people have, thank you, some people have described it as a memoir. I don't really think of it as such because it's, um, it's more a collection of essays that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other like one might be about sexual assault another one might be about every single car I've owned mm -hmm. another one's about Buddhism mm -hmm. one's about my mother one's about my sister lots of penis a lot in of it. penis so a much. lot of There's stories of all the that. penises I have loved it's like <laughs> a connect it's like a connect essay like a con in 
interwoven essays or connected essays or yeah. like there's, there's some sort of term for that. I think I've heard them say memoir in essays. Maybe that's what oh, it I is. Like that. But it's not that's chronological, right. so I'm like, is it? But um, it's just your book. Whatever. But I like, yeah, it's not chronological though, because I feel, yeah, I feel like that really works because you get to know different parts of you, and it kind of feels like one chapter will be much darker than another one. So I kind of yeah. like that things. I I like a non chronological memoir. That's yeah. the thing about writing a book though is you don't find out what genre it is until your publisher tells you. <laughs> and you're like, oh wow, I didn't know that. And also when I started writing it, I thought it was going to be something completely different. Like mm-hmm. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to make this some like activist political tome. Yeah. And then I would read what I wrote and it was just horrible. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh my God, what am I trying to prove? Who am, like, what? it was all just like show-offy stuff. And then in these this terrible writing that I had, I'd find like one little nugget of a story mm. that would be personal. I'd be like, oh, this is the story. And it was never anything political. It was never anything that had like a message to say. It was more just exploring a story that shaped me. And the essays in the book are stories of events that happened in my life that have shaped me and who I am today. Well, it's fantastic. And people should pre-order it. Yeah, it's right out, now. It's out yes. soon. It's out October Fourth, and uh, you can pre-order it right now because why would you not want to do that? Yeah. And uh, yes, most important question on the show after what your book is about, Constance, what are you reading? Right now, I'm reading O William by Elizabeth Strout. Oh, I have uh, I've read one of her books, but it's not her big one. Olive, uh, not Olive Kitteridge. Yeah, I, I've read. God, I can't even remember the name of it right now. But uh, she's. Great. I am Lucy Barton. Yes, I'm Lucy Barton. Yes. Well, so O William is about Lucy Barton. But it's sort of like a trilogy, kind of like, I don't know if you read Marilyn Robinson, but how like Gilead and... uh, Kind of loosely connected books. Yeah, they're... Well, I mean, they're very connected because it's all like the same... Same town, yeah. It's just at different ages. I think Lucy Barton... God, I read it so long ago... My name is Lucy Barton. That's when she's a kid, right? It's about how her mom is crappy. That's all I remember. Yeah. <laughs> crappy like, mom book. <laughs> well, by the time you get to O. William, which I'm currently reading, she's, you know, a mother... She's her uh, own crappy mom. (laughs) Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, twice divorced, uh, you know, just, yeah. So, I mean, I really love Elizabeth Strout's writing. Yeah, that's what I'm reading. And uh, right before that, I read Five Tuesdays in Winter by Lily King, Mm -hmm. who we love. Yes, yes, that, uh, yeah. Sean, you would like Lily King. You would love uh, Writers yeah. and Lovers, right? Oh, yeah, Writers and you Lovers. would really so like that That's book. That's a Sean book, for sure. Yeah, Con- you- Constance recommended that one to me, and I loved it. Yeah. It was so good. I really And I there are parts of your book that remind me of that book. There are parts of that. I know that's, that's a fiction. That's a compliment, I know th- that is a fiction book, and yours is real. <laughs> yeah, but it, there were parts of it that, like, the writing style, and then just, like, I don't know. There was just something about it that kind of reminded me of, like, that. Well, first of all, I when I was reading that book, I, fr- I thought it was nonfiction. Right. Yeah, I, remember, first, I remember when you were talking about it, you're like, I can't tell if this is a memoir or not. And then novel. I had to look it up. <laughs> um, and, but then, yeah, there are definitely parts of your book that remind me of that. That is quite a compliment. Yeah, so, so people like that, I think this is a, a fun, this is a good comp, but a nonfiction comp. Okay. Hmm, thanks. Okay, let's start at the beginning. How old were you, Bria, when you started to realize that some books were for boys and some books were for girls? Okay, I have a good story about this. Uh, elementary school, mm-hmm. we were all taken to the library and uh, they said, okay, boys, you go over here and you get a Hardy Boys book. And girls, you go over here and you get a Nancy Drew book. And I remember thinking, I didn't care about either. <laughs> like, <laughs> you wasn't like, that I wanted the talking Har- dogs. I didn't want the Hardy Boys book, but I also, like, kind of didn't want the Nancy Drew book. Like, I was just like, I don't know. At the time, I don't know what I was interested in. At least you got Nancy Drew and not Babysitter's Club. Which yeah. is what the girls where I grew up were assigned. And yeah, and oh, really? And so I was thinking about, I knew so many girls who read Babysitter's Club. I don't mm-hmm. think I've read a single Babysitter, Babysitter's Club book. Yeah, I read one. It wasn't for me. I <laughs> I preferred Boxcar Children. Oh, think, oh my God, yes. I have that exact same story because I read Babysitter's Club because there was a Mallory. Okay. And yes, I was too. like, oh, autom- people automatically give me Mallory stuff. And I was like, I don't want to babysit children. And then I got Boxcar Kids and I was obsessed with it because I was like, Loved yes. Boxcar Children. Love this. Do you think that's probably the most... Do you think that's the more gender neutral of the assigned? I was going to say, yeah. Are there boys and girls? Yeah. yeah. Because oh, it's, uh-huh. a, it's and they two brothers and two sitters. Uh, two brothers, two sisters. The first one, they live in a boxcar. The second one, spoiler alert for this million-year-old book, <laughs> they get adopted by, like, an uncle or something. A grandfather. I don't... Some... But ne- remember how there's a little boy and yes. he has an affection for a pink cup with a chip in it? Yes. That's... 
Man, wow. That's I think we are a pro boxcar kids. Uh, oh, love. I, check this out. I really did read every single one of the boxcar. Wow. And there are a lot of boxcar children. Yeah, yeah. I remember I had a box of them because mm-hmm. there were so many. Well, well so was Constance, when, when did, was that when you were realizing when that some books were their intended audience was boys and some of them were, girl, were, were for girls? I mean, I think. I don't remember a specific age when I realized that. It was sort of one of those things that I think was established as a truth, sort of like, oh, pink is for girls Mm -hmm. and blue is for boys. Mm -hmm. You get that in infancy, you know? Um, It didn't seem strange to me until much later. I think it's just because of how the whole world is structured. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, bullshit in a lot of ways, but I think it just seemed like a continuation of that. You're like, oh, okay, well, there's bathrooms for different genders. I guess there's books for different genders as well. Do you remember a moment, too? Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean, I remember moments like Uber where I was like very aware of it. Yeah. Um, I just don't remember. I mean, it's just sort of, it's like the frog in boiling water thing. It's just the mm-hmm. ocean in which you swim. You know, so yeah. there are some books for boys and some books for girls. I think the thing that bothered me is that at some point I realized that girl books were for girls, but boy books were also for, for everyone. For everyone. And uh-huh. also boy books are the books that are taken seriously mm-hmm. as yes. good literature. And girl books are never... Right, they're canon, they're classics, they're the yeah. male books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everything else is some sort of like niche, specialized thing. Like I right. remember there was like fiction and then women's fiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They used that's to call it chiclet. Yes. yes. Yeah. People still do. They yeah. do. Yes, people still call it chiclet. Well, that's why I now call very male writing. I call it dicklet. dicklet. Yes, we yes. like that. Yes, dicklet is good. Because here's the thing: there are a lot of really good dicklet writers, just yeah. like there are a lot of good chiclet writers. But they're dicklet because they definitely have that skewing male bias mm-hmm. yeah. kind of thing. Like you know, Richard Ford is a great writer. Mm-hmm. Dicklet. Yes. Yes. I For think sure. of Bukowski. Bukowski, totally different. I have a very funny story about Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy. Who I I love. I adore Cormac McCarthy's writing. Very much Dicklet. Total Dicklet. So, how did that develop while you were growing up and like developing your own reading life? Were you like going along with that flow or were you like, fuck this, I'm going to read the Boxcar Kids? Did you rebel against it? How did it affect your reading choices when you were growing up? Well, when I was really young, um, before I learned shame or shame was taught to me <laughs> to have, I read what I wanted. I read uh, Boxcar Children. I loved um, the Chester the Cricket in Times Square, like those kind of Aww. things. But then I remember getting to a point, especially when I was in high school, where I wanted to be taken seriously and mm-hmm. thought of as like oh, erudite. Yes. So I wanted to say like, oh yeah, I read like my favorite poem is the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be taken seriously. And so I almost started reading things that I did not intuitively want to read because I wanted to be taken seriously. And I also thought it would give me cred and make me cooler. If I told some, if I told a guy I read Bukowski, suddenly they were like, oh. But if I told them I read it, I'm sure they did. They did. And then if I said I read Jane Austen, they'd be like, like tune out, like don't take you less seriously. And so, you know, we all want to feel like respected in this world. And especially Especially at that age, as as a teenager, Mm -hmm. when you're like, when that's happening. So it's like, it's, it's kind of like how I used to, you know, order straight whiskey to impress guys (laughs) rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, ordering some like fruity cocktail. Now I actually like straight whiskey, but I did (laughs) not like a fruity cocktail. You can like a fruity cocktail too. Yeah, but I used to not order it because Mm -hmm. I wanted to prove something. And that's the same way I used to be with literature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you, Mm -hmm. Priya? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, it's a similar thing where I think I went away from reading very, like, feminine-leaning books or m- books that people thought of as, like, women's books. And I, I, w- I got into, like, Jack Kerouac, yeah. the beat, any, sort of, any, any sort of person along that, that line and the classics. I really went, like, leaned into, like, like yeah. 1984. Like, that's how I got, kind of got into sci-fi because a lot of those classics end up being kind of, like, science fictional in some way. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't read a lot of books... Um, yeah, that were considered women's literature. I think because, yeah, it was like embarrassing. It's It was completely embarrassing. Yeah, because and no people respected you less. Yes, it's true. They and didn't take you seriously. They didn't think you were smart if you said you liked only women's Yeah, books. and it, and it's such a bummer because it means there's so many books that I didn't read and probably still haven't read uh, in the in that world, and I bought into it. 
Because, I mean, what other option do you think do you have? I mean, I'm not blaming myself as a teenager. It also but, like, was the 90s. It. Like, it was yeah. the 90s. Even though feminism was hot and cool in the 90s, we it, we were still all swimming in that thinking. Yeah, it's true. That's I mean, true. we're still there. And this is a question I would posit to any of your male listeners. Mm-hmm. Because I asked this recently um, to a, a few of my male friends who claim to be great readers. They read a lot. Oh, that was my t- my Tinder and question. How, what's your favorite female author? Oh, <laughs> my question is, have you read any books written by a female uh-huh. in the past three years, 10 years? And they, do, they don't even realize they haven't yeah. done it. Yeah. It doesn't it's even It's a great compute. Tinder question because it really it's sorts like that, out then the Then nobody riff-raff. matches you on your well, then you have more time to read. Yeah, the Billy on the Street. Did you see that Billy on the Street one where he runs up to people and he says, name a woman, and everyone goes, ah, and he goes, I can't name a woman. It's very funny. Mom, name a woman. I don't know a woman. I can't name a woman. My mom. No, but they don't even realize that they haven't because it's it's all it's just so common to not yeah I mean I I when I was that age I definitely went down like the I I don't want to be like other girls path because I internalized the idea of like stuff for women is somehow inferior it's not as serious I was a wicked smart kid and I wanted to be part of the cool kids and yeah. it was so subtly hammered into us I mean there's not once in middle school high school or college I was ever assigned a book by a female author not even fucking Toni Morrison was mm. I ever assigned a novel by a not female Jane author. Austen? We've nope. talked about this one. I was not assigned. You know that. what we had? We had we were assigned in eighth grade, I remember, Rebecca by Daphne de Maurier. Oh, oh, Ooh, which spicy. I actually read recently. Honestly, that's just a really good, good book. book. <laughs> it's a great book. And a great story. I, oh, it's it's fucking wonderful. reveal. I it's I like wonderful. I remember reading it in middle school and the fucking reveal. I threw the book across oh the room. Oh my god. I, I threw so it I across the room. I, this was not assigned to me. Although I, I feel like it is considered a classic, but it I is. did not read it until like a like during the pandemic I read it. But yeah, the great reveal. Great ending. Great, like, main character. Yeah. Like, so interesting and complicated. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we read, so I had Daphne du Maurier. I had, I think we had Sense and Sensibility we had to read. Sure. And then I think we we had to read some Sylvia Plath poems. Oh, But sure, everything no. else. I got nothing. Everything else was, you got nothing? Nothing. Every, mm. all, every single book I've ever been assigned to read in any kind of school has always been a white guy. Which is really unfortunate because you as a goth teen, like, how were you not reading The Bell Jar? Well, how was I not reading Shirley Jackson? I know. that's. I mean, that would be the better one. So I never thought to seek it out because I just never, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s and I started connecting with the bookish community online that I was like, I have been duped. Yeah. I have been had. Yeah. Like, I was so, I I would have failed my own Tinder question when I was in my early 20s if I had tried to date myself. You know what? I I actually probably would have failed your Tinder question too. Yeah, same. Because I I just don't know to think about it. I mean, now it's such a huge question, and it's not even just women. It's like, oh, are you making sure you're reading enough trans authors and black authors and all of that? But back then it was just like, have you read a woman? And it was (laughs) like, we didn't do that. And then I think the thing that really was hammered to me that was hard to unlearn is that is what you said earlier is that that kind of male writing even when a guy sits in a sad and alone in a, his room it wins a pulitzer when a woman is a sad alone in her room it gets shelved in women's fiction and gets a, and gets a crappy cover and no one thinks about it oh. like the fucking old man in the sea is a pulitzer winning book about a crap a guy who's sad about how crappy he is at his job <laughs> if, the, if it was the exact mm-hmm. same book but with a written by a woman with a female protagonist it would have never we would never even know about it, would, it. yeah so it true. would be that is gone <laughs> But I have to just add the caveat about, um, yeah, if you look at your own reading list and you say like, oh, I haven't, like my male friends who hadn't read any female authors, maybe I haven't read many trans authors or, you know, people of color. The point to read that, I think, is not to say, I've checked off these things. No, it's not to get laid on Tinder, even though it does help. (laughs) But it's because the stories are good. And you are richer for having great Mm -hmm. stories. And it grows your empathy for and makes you a better person yeah. um, for having uh, read these viewpoints. Yeah, it was something we talk about a lot on the show is that uh, readers are more empathetic people. And 100%. one of the things that helps is reading uh, books from different people's perspectives. Yeah, so all right, yeah. so we're going to keep going with this. We're just going to continue dis- this discussion after a quick break. Mm-hmm. 
Reading Glasses is sponsored in part this week by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies, which deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. You maybe have seen people talking online about microdosing. Maybe you've heard friends talk about it. What you need to know is that all sorts of people are doing it every day to feel healthier and perform better. Maybe you want to wind down in the evening after you work out like me. Maybe you want to sleep a little better. Maybe you're looking for a creative boost or something to help you manage stress a little bit. Whatever you're trying to do, microdose gummies can help you do it. And again, underscoring this post, this is entry-level doses of THC. It is not going to send you over the moon. They are trying to give you a little boost up or help you wind down. They are not trying to do any more than that. And they are available nationwide. And you can learn more about microdosing THC by going to microdose.com and using code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. So that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. There's links in the show notes. But again, that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. GLASSES. Carrie, is it? Oh, yes. Hi, I'm Carrie. I am Psychic Ross, and I will be reading you this evening. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. I co-host a podcast. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Yes, I'm sensing that. The spirits are telling me it is a show about Well, it's about like fringe science and spirituality and claims of the paranormal. Oh, you knew that. You do research online. But more importantly, like we do in-person investigations. In-person investigate as well. Oh, my God. That's amazing. See? Me and my friend. This is so weird. My friend, Ross. Same name as you. Weird. He and I just go and try them all out. And actually, we've gone to a number of psychics. And to be honest with you, it's a lot like this. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. They can find it at MaximumFun.org. I could have told you that. So... Once the wool has been pulled from our eyes in our early 20s, how did your reading life change once you realized the idea of gendered reading is a bunch of bullshit? Like, what, what did you do? Did you just, like, go on a supermarket sweep of the bookstore for women's books? Or did you was it, was it more of a slow process where you're like, I got to change this? Well, it sort of changed my whole philosophy. This has to do with fiction, by the way, I have to say, because I almost only read fiction. I didn't suddenly go get all these female authors at the bookstore. How do I word this? Okay, I'll, so in a lot of the interviews I'm doing for my book right now, one of the questions people like to ask is, what are one of those books that you swear you're going to finish one day? And my answer is none, zero, because I no longer read for ego or endurance. Ah, yes, and I for use, endurance. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, and I think that's... <laughs> now, now, I think this doesn't necessarily apply to nonfiction, because if you're trying to learn how to, I don't know, fix a toilet and you read a book, okay, sure, <laughs> that sure. fix the toilet book. Great, that great. Book. <laughs> but, but if you're saying like, oh, I have to read, uh, you know, Crime and Punishment or War and yes. Peace or whatever, because it is part of the, the canon of great literature, fuck that. My... My relationship with what I read now is if it doesn't pull me in within the first few pages, life is too short. There's too many great books out there. And there are books that I read that I get get so fucking psyched over that I'm just like in the world. And it's so pleasurable to read that way. Why would I spend my time reading something I don't like just so I could say I fucking read it? No. So that's when my philosophy changed is like no longer reading for ego or endurance, but really just reading for pleasure yeah and it just makes your life better what about you Bram so much better well I was thinking about when I started one thing that really did change my reading um and I've talked about this before on the show is the Oprah book club um because I was working at a library in high school and Oprah started her book club like later in high school like I was probably a junior or senior and she picked a lot of female authors and we would order because it was so popular we would order like 20 of the books so I'd be like, well, I'm just going to, once there were ones left over, I would just grab one and read it. And they were really good. Yeah. And it's interesting because those books went from no-name authors to, uh, you know, instant classics. It was so life-changing for all these authors. You know, they mm-hmm. took them from, like, authors who are, like, 
had done nothing, had not sold many books, suddenly in the Oprah Book Club, suddenly best-selling authors, and a lot of women, and a lot of people of color, a lot of black women. I'm And because I started reading those books, it kind of opened my eyes to this world of sort of, it, I mean, it was a lot of women's literature kind of yeah. books. But they were really good. Like, it was yeah. a very, I'm, I'm having trouble, like, thinking of any of the ones that, like, popped for me. But because of that, I ended up reading more books in that category and was like, oh, these are, like, not, what I thought they were going to be. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're, they like, women's fiction, but they have, like, something to say. They have really cool stories. And they were, like, all, like, complicated women. Usually women doing shit they shouldn't be doing. Like, it was always, like, a complicated story. And that that changed stuff for me. What about you? Oh, for me, it was all in one moment. It was, oh, like, the scene wow. in They Live where they put on the sunglasses yes. and I see everything. And, and now I'm everyone's like, oh, an alien. No. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I was reading an article about I mean I was I was in my early 20s I was living in Brooklyn and I was on my laptop and I was reading some article because I'm a huge horror fan and I was reading some article about female horror writers and I looked up and I was like and one of the questions in the article was like oh people who don't read any female horror writers and I was like that's me (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I got up and looked at my shelves, and I had I had uh, it didn't even occur to you until that. It moment. did not even yeah. fucking occur to me, and it was really the thing that was made me most sad is that heartbreak of realizing I could have grown up with all these amazing writers. Yeah. I mean, r- nowadays we definitely have a comparatively an embarrassment of riches when it comes to a more varied amount of authors. But even like there are still back then tons of amazing like again fucking Shirley Jackson like she's the queen yeah. of my world and I did not have her until my early twenties and it just like it really was for me it was it was like a the scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> I went straight to the Strand I took the subway and I bought like a hundred dollars worth of horror books written by women wow. mm-hmm. and now honestly I couldn't get enough and I still can't get enough I think uh, when you start when you grow up in the time that we did which makes us all sound like crones that live in a swamp and you get so used to your worldview and the way that you live your life is not being the superior way of doing things and then you read a book that centers and values who you are you can't go back yeah, yeah. you're like walking into narnia like you're like i can't go back through that closet no, I I have the world on the other side is not interesting anymore <laughs> yeah and we're not we're not saying that books written by men are bad it's just when you grow up and you are taught that those are the better books and those are the more serious books and then you find out all of this and you start reading books by women that center women's problems and thoughts and feelings and all of these things I was just like, I can't, like, I still love reading. I love reading books, but most of the books I read are by female authors now. Yeah, me too now. But I do feel like male authors are thought of, these are human stories. And then Mm -hmm. female authors are a subcategory of human. Yeah. And it's, that's how they're treated. (laughs) Yeah, no, but, but, but it's, but it goes to show that like how this is, again, how reading grows your empathy. When you read these books that have different points of view, it grows your humanity. I mean, something you just said, Bria, like five minutes ago, you're talking about, Oprah's book club, and it was full of all these women with complicated emotions. It reminded me of this interview I saw recently with Olivia Coleman, mm. um, where she was talking about the movie that she did based on the Elena Ferrante book. I love Elena Ferrante. And one of the journalists looked at Olivia and he said, So in this movie, you play a very complex woman. And she <laughs> looked at him, and in her Olivia Coleman way, she goes, Oh, yeah, or normal. <laughs> and but but it was a, such a moment because I was like you know what to that journalist it was not normal because that journalist was not used to hearing a woman's story be complex and so yeah. to them they were like this is a distinguishing feature of this role you've chosen and applying it to the gender yeah. rather than m- using that idea to think of the indoctrination of how they've read in the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that was a genuine question. Like, yeah, Olivia, yeah. why are you playing a complex woman? Women have thoughts. Tell me women thoughts. Like, yeah. yeah, but but I love that. She was just like, or, you know, normal. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Humans, it was are, a great humans are complicated. It turns out uh, women are humans. And Crazy. therefore are complicated. Which shouldn't be a controversial statement. <laughs> no, but, it, but, but it does be, it has because to Because the thing is, and this is, I mean, why we want to talk about this too, is I think that... Uh, these men get to be very complicated in these books, in these dicklit books. They are very complicated, and then they're also, like, praised for the complication and the darkness or whatever, and and it's considered just better literature. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the, the proof is in the ubiquity of the unlikable female protagonist mm. because yeah. they're like, oh, she's so complex. She's so unlikable. I'm like, would you say that about Batman? Like, yeah. is Batman yeah. an unlikable protagonist? <laughs> like, No, but they if you're, if you're a woman and you're anything other than pleasant and sweet, 
um, you know, this is why I do feel like my book, when it comes out, is going to get some hatred. Apparently. But Olivia Coleman will love it, and that's what's going <laughs> Yes. The right people will love it. Send her a copy. I mean, I haven't read any of uh, the reviews, but don't, one of my sisters. Don't. Sis- I promise I won't. don't start. But one yes. of my sister's. Uh, did she for some reason fucking went on Goodreads? No, she's appoint a- somebody in your life. Mine is my best friend, and to have to be your review uh, screener. Well, uh, it my would mom not would do be this the for sister. you, by the way, if you want her to. She does it for me. Okay, well, it would not be the sister because this sister said most of the reviews of your galley were good, but there was one that said that you're kind of unlikable, but <gasps> the writing is good. And I'm like, and I said to her, I was like, that's a win. Yeah, that's exactly that's, what you want. That's yeah. a win because the thing is like the thing about my book is I. Don't paint myself as a saint or as a martyr or as a victim or some kind of like immigrant, uh, you know, courageous Mm -hmm. story. I'm like a regular person who sometimes does good things and sometimes, yeah, sometimes gets jealous, sometimes is petty. That's another thing I love about Elizabeth Strout is that sometimes her characters are petty. Like I remember in Olive Kitteridge, there's this scene where the mother doesn't like her son's fiance. So she does this petty, dumb shit where she like steals one of her shoes. And it's, so, it's so childish, but it's so fucking human. Yeah, and when you're people, doing it, you like, you that. feel it. Yeah. But it's unlikable, quote, you know? And yes. so I feel like people who have that expectation of me writing some uplifting, heroic story might be disappointed that I... I That's what I... Well, I felt like your book was very real and you were very honest. And I know you and I feel like I can say I felt like you were very honest about who you are, you know? Like, oh, I feel thanks. like you... And, and, like, you were very... You weren't scared to, like, show, like, a very human side of you, which, you know, we all are like that. We mm-hmm. all have... Yeah. have, like, thoughts that we don't want to be thinking or make mistakes in our past. And I thought it was very... I mean, take this for you. I thought it was very honest and I thought it was also very, like, humble in a way like in really I, I did because I, I felt like think that you were okay. very because your honesty <laughs> at times was like you know it was like hard as your friend sometimes it's hard to read like knowing things that you've gone through mm. and like I think you talking just talking about like things that you've done and relationships you've had and things you've tried to mend and things like makes that makes me like kind of I know I know I'm getting <laughs> emotional talking about it because it, it no because really, you do know like some of the things I I've gone through so and, I, like, and, oh. when, and when I was reading it I was like wow I, I think it very much captures you without painting yourself as some sort of you're making me upset. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. I All right, cry. Next question. Like my book says, I cry very easily. You do. I know you you're know this. Me, yes. Remember um, acting class yes. 10 years ago. I, but I don't <laughs> think you make yourself into some sort of like perfect hero. And I think no. that that's very important. For that's what's going to make people read. love it. I think it's, and it's important for people to know that because I think especially like actors and famous people, we put them on this pedestal and we're like, everything they do is perfect and wonderful. And instead you're like, no, like, I've had these things that didn't work out. I had like complicated relationships with your family. Like you've had a lot of stuff that you've gone through and just being honest about it, I think was very like, I, I really appreciated it. Thanks. That was very good. <laughs> okay. So then as we, as we started to <laughs> like become readers of female things yes. and, and not, non, non, uh, non, I like non, always getting it back on board. We'll non we'll marginalized guys. I got you guys. I got you. <laughs> Uh, how did you start to excise this thinking from your your reading life? Did it change the way you chose books? How did it change your relationship with with book buying or or the way you thought about re- reviewing books? I mean, I feel like I went in stages. First, there was the stop reading for ego endurance, read for pleasure. But then that wasn't enough because my original goal of like, when I originally only read Dick Lit because I wanted to be taken seriously, I still want to be taken seriously. I still want people to see me as I am, which I think is as a reader, not as some like floofy person who doesn't understand books. So the next step phase for me is challenging other people who don't read female mm. writers, That's the who don't even realize. Flipping it around and being the one who does the judging. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it's not judging though. It's the question. Yeah. But because because the answer is so vulnerable, it feels like judgment. And another thing I do is when somebody says, oh, I'm reading XYZ and somebody else might roll their eyes, I'm like, oh, that's really great. Like, what do you like about it? Like, I engage those topics Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. if they are just as serious as if somebody was reading Bolaño or something. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really... Sometimes I think when I do that, like I'm at a dinner party, it surprises people that like, I'm like, no, I'm choosing to engage on this topic and I'm choosing to say, good for you. Mm -hmm. I think it's what happens with a lot of women as they get older is they realize that they have the social power 
you know? Yeah. And to lift other women up, you know, like you don't have to be the one to sit there and be submitted for judgment from guys. You can be the one to be like, Hey, no, I like this thing. And if you don't like it, that's on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you really are like rooted in that, it's very powerful. Oh my God. It makes you feel like you can fucking fly. Yeah. (laughs) And it makes, it's made some guys like scared of me. Oh yeah. And I'm not even doing anything scary, but saying, you know what? I actually like that thing that you don't like. That yeah. how is that a threat? But, but yet not, it becomes but to a threat. But not be in the position of power where all the things you like are automatically considered inferior. What's that great phrase? Um, equality looks like oppression to the oppressors. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Franklin mm-hmm. Leonard said. Yes, I think I forget who who said it, but you know when you when are, you're accustomed to privilege, mm-hmm. equality equality feels like deprivate not deprivation okay. uh, something like that though yeah it's the, it's a the word that's like a that's like deprivation but i forgot what it was but yeah mm-hmm. i mean I, I i really think you know when you realize that you could be the taste maybe judgment isn't the right word it's tastemaker like yeah. you, mm-hmm. you can have your own taste and, and it's fine mm-hmm. you know i mean for me i what i i i very consciously righted the ship for a while i was like no i'm just gonna buy a shitload of lady books all the time and I made sure whenever I bought books or checked them out from the library it wasn't only guys because that's what I did when I was a teenager like and I wasn't even realizing it but then I started to be I think that's what it is I just started to be more conscious as a reader and not just sort of take things I started to seek things out more which really changed and now I kind of just do it subconsciously because after reading all this stuff that's what I, I gravitate towards you know can I ask you a question yes that's not on our list of questions to talk about. absolutely I'm curious what your thoughts are on female writers who write male stories. Because I remember reading one within the past maybe seven years that was written by a woman, and it was about four men. And I was like, this is the best book about men. Was it Hannah Hanya Yanagihara? A little life. You read a little life. (laughs) No, but I was like, I was like, this is better than anything a man writes about himself. But yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I will counter that by saying there, I mean, there are like a great example of a counterpoint to Little Life is the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is I think a really good writer who is an empathetic person can write any gender. And that's 100%. why the, the most annoying thing that happens when we when we, people have conversations like this is people going, oh, so you're saying that men can't write women? <laughs> oh. I'm like, no, we're not saying that at, at all. And I mean, Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires is a book written by Grady Hendrix and it's about these uh, housewives who have to deal with a vampire. And the problem is that nobody will listen to them because they're housewives. And yeah. it is one of the most wonderful and hmm. empathetic things I've ever read in my life. And I think same thing about Little Life is that if you were a good writer and you put yourself into somebody's position and and think about this character not as just a guy or just a woman but as a person Mm -hmm. with thoughts and feelings anybody can write any one of any gender can write anything this is true i do feel a lot of male writers have a bit of a blind spot that they don't realize Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean they can't write it i think one of the best writers of women characters was august wilson who Mm. was a man and i think he writes women almost like the best characterizations of women I've ever read but you know in Dicklet I even noticed in the description male characters are described in terms of their behavior like I remember reading the sports writer by Richard Ford and this guy it was a great description how he was like a he's the kind of guy who was always jingling the change in his pockets yeah men do when mm. women feel and yeah and then the other the, the, the description of the woman was all visual. Oh, yeah, how she, how she looks. Yeah, It was all like her thighs were taut, like a cavalry saddle or whatever. And like, Ugh. this is what God made these for, <laughs> Jack. Look right here. And it was like, <laughs> it was from the point of view of the protagonist, which who was totally sexist, so I totally sure, get it. Sure, But it was just like, it was just... It was. It, it felt unfair to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I, well, and the, the thing that really freaks me out is if I had written a book when I was twenty, that's how I would have written it. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was, yeah. When you're like that, especially because I was like, I was really into male-dominated scenes. I was a metalhead. Like I was really mm-hmm. trying to be not like the other girls. I think women like that are the are some of the worst. And I definitely was like, pink is bad, and all girl, romance novels are awful. And yeah. now, like, I read a romance novel every month. Like it takes getting out of that mindset, and I don't think mm-hmm. it is impossible possible for any any kind of writer to get out of there but you have to do it and I think because of the society that we live in much more men male writers are still stuck in that mindset yeah Yeah. and have not bothered to take the time to get out because in the world that we live in now you still don't need to yeah well I think we still we still I always think that like the biggest problem facing feminism is 
is the way we raise our boys in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, it's it's toxic masculinity, you know, making rearing its head again, where we have to deal with these male writers who don't they don't even think about writing yes. a woman. You know, they they wouldn't even like cross their mind. No. Nope. Um, and then we also, as women, end up buying into it a lot of times. So Absolutely. That's... Well, that brings us to the next question, which is so. Things are cha- clearly changing. They're getting better, even mm-hmm. though it's uh, slower than we like. I love when we, whenever any of us do interviews, people are always like, so feminism's over, right? Everything's <laughs> good. And you're like, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> compared to but- in the 90s for a hot minute where we used the word post-feminist? Ugh, that's where I, uh, that's yeah. what a lot of us got raised. Post-feminist, post-racial, post-whatever. Yeah. So insane. Um, but compared to 20 years ago, there's a wealth of books for all ages with a much bigger variety of authors, protagonists. So how do we keep things changing for the better? What authors in the stereotypical American literary canon would you swap out and for who? I think Elena Ferrante. I think the Neapolitan novels should be on every single high school curriculum. Um, And I would say that that could be swapped out for... Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> You're like, oh, can I swap it out for like five? <laughs> I can't even, too many. I mean, I'm trying to remember what I read in. There's a lot of. Catcher in the Rye. Catcher <laughs> like, in the Rye. Salinger's on, I actually looked up. Uh, Although book, I books. do like his short, I do like Franny and Zooey a lot. I, I do, and I, you know what? I, I that was a big, him. that was a big part of, I have talked about this, that was a big part of my, um, me getting me into books was, was Jay Salinger. So like, Same. I have trouble. I mean, I don't think those books are less, I still like them. They're, They're not still less. well written. Well, that's Their descriptions are still fantastic. These books are bad. It's the fact that these were the only, only books. books that right. were presented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would add the Neapolitan novels. Uh, that, that's the one I would like a hundred percent add. You know, and then I like books like I like Gilead. I think is really beautiful by Marilyn Robinson. Um, I think any of Roxane Gay's books. Yeah. Um, are really I good. I wish instead of reading 1984, I would have read an Octavia Butler book. Oh, yeah. Or Hammy's Tale. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that'd, I, that'd be pretty rough to read as a 14-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> I also was thinking instead of re- reading like Homer or something, you could read uh, Madeline Miller. You could read like Cersei. Oh, that would be so good. I also think like add some of these these male writers who are very good and are kind of dealing with masculinity. Like yeah. I would like some of that. So I was thinking like add like Poetry by Hanifa Dirakib uh, or like some Charles Yu short stories. Imagine which Sean how much just cool was talking about. poetry p- kids would think poetry was if they read books by Hanifa Dirakib. Right. I mean, school. it would really change what your idea. Like, like so these men. I haven't kinda, read this poetry. Oh, I need to read it. Great. He's a poet and an essayist. Yeah. Um, what's, well, you really, you liked um, Little Devil in America. They can't kill us till they kill us. Yeah. He writes it. He does music essays, but they take into <sighs> account like masculinity and uh, being black in America, and like, mm-hmm. and it's just a dealing with thinking about masculinity and being a part of like these different music scenes, being part of the black community, and like that's the kind of stuff that I feel like this is like where we're at now. Like people are gonna be mad, but I, I like what what is the Odyssey telling us at this point? <laughs> like, are are we learning yeah. a lot from no. the Odyssey? No, I don't think you know, so. Like, I feel like I mean, Beowulf. whatever. Beowulf? I know. Remember? I just, I, so Why wouldn't you I remember being Beowulf? bored by it when I was younger? People are going to be mad because they love Well, the, the funny thing classes. is, though, both Homer's The Odyssey and Beowulf have gotten recent translations right. by women. Um, Emily, God, I can't remember oh, her that's last name. And yeah. then uh, my friend Maria Devon Headley did Beowulf okay. and have really changed the mm, way that they're, they're written. So even with something like that would be really cool. And I know there's a lot of amazing teachers and parents and guardians all over our country doing a lot of great work. And what you said earlier about how wanting to read this stuff just because it's good, I feel like the way I felt about female authors when I first realized you know, what all of this bullshit was. I feel the same way now about books by like non-binary authors or more queer books. Cause I'm like, I've never read this stuff before. I want more of it. Yeah. You know, it's really like, and I hope the, the goal is at some point in America's history, if America lasts that long, uh, we, will, <laughs> we will have to have these conversations and there'll be such a massive array of authors for everyone that no one will feel left out and you don't, won't have to feel like that. But I think that's where we're starting to go is that I really, I'm like, Oh my God, I never got like, the closest I ever got to reading like a queer book was a separate piece by John Knowles, and that hmm. I, I there, was like, a separate piece a queer book. No, but it's 
<laughs> Those boys were very close to Yeah, yeah, out. they were. I, now that I'm thinking about it, but but if Those that's the closest boys you wanted got, to smooth there's definitely queer reading of that for sure. Oh, yeah. No, it's it was, not too far beneath the surface. <laughs> Before we finish this conversation, I do feel like you need to tell a, a, a dating story about Oh my God, yeah. yes, my Bukowski story. Yes. Oh my God, this is one of my favorites. So, <laughs> dating in LA is hell. And when I first moved to LA, I was like, I had never tried Tinder or any of the apps before. So, I was like, fuck it, why not? And I kept going on, I would go on first dates and in my profile, like I was obviously, I love reading, I love books. So in order to impress me, guys would be like, oh, I'm going to bring you a book. And I'd be like, oh, oh cool. no. <laughs> Fred, oh, like, no. I know and I was this like, is oh, going. Okay, cool. And I was like, this is, I was like, wow, this is going to be awesome. I love when someone brings me a book. Every single book except for one was a Bukowski book. <laughs> oh, my. I'm- Half of them were on women. It, like the title uh, on women. Yeah. I ended up, I had oh, <laughs> literally a stack of books by Charles Bukowski in my apartment that I, I ended up. You took them all home. Oh yeah. Wow. I put them, eventually put it, put them in the little free library over in Filipino town where we both of us used to live. Yes. Um, but I could not, I was like, man, you guys are so close. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time? Cause I do remember, cause this is a memorable story that a guy gave you a book that he wanted to, like, impress you with. Oh, yes. What was it? Well, <laughs> I was a junior in high school, and I met this guy doing all-state chorus, and Great. he mailed me a highlighted copy <gasps> of that he said I needed to pay attention to the highlights of The Fountainhead. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> my Ayn Rand. No, that's a lot of highlighting. And here's the thing. I was still, I was, here's what? the even then, when I was Wait, still, how old were you? I was sixteen. <laughs> even You're like, I don't even pay taxes yet. <laughs> oh my god, he thought it was like the like the greatest tome Wish of you all. Still had this with the highlights because I, I would know love what to know what, what, what really meant a lot to this teenage yeah, boy yeah, 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 in yeah. this book. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, it's funny because I remember even then because I did read it because I wanted to impress the guy, sure. but I was like crushing on and be like oh my god you are endurance indeed yeah Yeah, but I remember even then thinking why do I feel like this book isn't good and I remember even then at 16 being like wait but Constance it's good it's supposed to be good and I remember thinking like I have to figure out how it's good because my instinct is telling me this is a horrible book but like there must be something wrong with my taste absolutely but now I realize that I was like Oh, God, I can't <laughs> the fucking fountainhead of really all. Oh. I can't remember the first book that was given to me by some. I do remember in college, a guy bought me. I was like, you know, in oh, a I feminist this, group, this story, I was I vegan. And he bought me a whole bunch of, I can't remember her name. It's like this vegan feminist author. Uh, I remember he came over and he gave me them, like, we'd only gone on like two dates or something. And he gave me a whole bunch of them. And I was like. Yeah, I already own all of, all of these. It's like, it's like they were like literally on my shelf, and I was like, "You think you wouldn't?" He's like, "Have you ever heard of he's bell like, hooks?" Let yeah, me you educate you. Feminist books like that about vegan feminist. Like I also, I already know all of this. Like, and I think we literally already brought that lady to speak at our university. Oh my god! And I was like, I was part of like a committee that brought her here, and, and he probably thought you were saying, "Fuck you." He probably took that as like a. I don't. I don't think I dated him for very long after that. I think it was like I was like, like, "Why don't you just keep these and we'll talk in a few years?" Yeah, I I really couldn't. I've gotten so many strange gifts on dates that were like second dates where I hadn't even slept with the guy, and like whenever I tell those stories, actually, you know, one is in my book. The short story. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah, that is... Oh, that is... That was a wild. Yeah. But that was not a unique story. I have a lot of these type Second of... Second date. Well, the, <laughs> the rape was a unique part of that date. But, uh, you know, in terms of other, other things, like these gifts, but one thing I find is when I talk to male friends about these funny things that happen where, oh, my God, this guy bought me, like this rapid figurine on our second date, blah, blah, blah. The guys, like, instinctively become protective of the other guy. Oh, absolutely. They become like, oh, come on. And you know what's funny is that up until probably pretty recently in my life, I probably, I've never given a guy, like, a female author book to read. Mm. And even now, I think this is probably our big tip for the end of the section is that I think it's good to regularly check in with your reading tastes and interrogate them a little bit. Because I think even now sometimes, because we recommend books all the time on the show, if it's a a male person writing in, sometimes I'll be like, oh, well, will he like this? And I'm like, 
fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great book. But yeah. I think so yeah. that's what I think I would switch out is more books for boys, younger boys that feature female protagonists or non-binary or you know whatever gender protagonists that feature emotions and more books for girls that are action and adventure. So like let, let's even it out a little yeah. bit cuz yeah. I even still find myself like if I'm asking um you know my boyfriend sometimes he'll be like, "Oh, well I like that book and like I can feel that like little little wriggling tingle. thing in yeah. the back of my brain where I'm like, well, well, will he like this book? And I'm like, fuck you. Yes. It's a great book. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't like it, fuck you. Like, yeah, who cares? But it's it's still there sometimes. So I think it's good to check in. And even still, like when I buy books, I'll like be like, oh, did I just buy a stack of dudes? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. Like, But, but that, it, yeah. that tingle yeah. you're talking about, I don't think that happened to that guy who gave me the fountainhead. No. He did not he doubt no that he was he giving was me the Bible. He, he, he probably was exactly. like, oh, it's a, I'm giving her a female author. I'm so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so <true>. feminist. <laughs> Actually, I wonder if I, of the, of the men I've asked, what female authors you've read? Because I didn't. Oh, my God. Con- I bet it would be I read. I yeah. bet it would be that. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, you can send your thoughts on gendered reading to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com. Now let's solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. Uh, this one was not signed, so we don't know who it's from. It says, Dear Brian Mallory, I have a tendency to never finish my books because I easily get distracted by other books. Even when I'm interested in the book and enjoying it, I find myself distracted with other books. I thought I could multi-read, but it turns out all the advice on YouTube is stressing me out about reading a certain number of pages a day. I want to finish the books I read, but I can't stick to one book. What do we have as advice for this person? Well, I mean, you've heard what I've said about not reading for endurance or ego, but I do understand if she's saying she actually, he or she truly enjoys the book they're reading yet can't stick with it. I don't, multi-reading is hard for me too because I'll start getting things confused. Mm-hmm. But if the genres are very different, I'm much better at or reading. fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, so I would be like, if you want to have three different books you're reading have this one be like a sci-fi and then this one's like a self-help and this one's you know like an emotional relationship story that way when you're like oh I'm not really in the mood for sci-fi tonight yeah even though I love that book you have another option but they're just all in different kind of categories is that that would be my advice yeah and I'd say even you could even switch it up off like different type like different platforms you could do like an audiobook and like a graphic novel and like a book, Ooh, like a, a, hard, a book. Hard, hard, hard book. A Kindle yeah. even. Yeah, yeah. Switch it the up. The hardest book of all. Because yes. <laughs> I think that could de- definitely help. What is this advice on YouTube? I don't understand. Yeah, I know. We got to find these booktubers and give them a talking these to. These booktubers are saying to read a certain number of pages a day in order to I what? Guess. Get through I the book or something? That sounds to me like ego and endurance. That it sounds does sound like, like ego and stressful. That yeah. sounds that sounds like these people don't have enough things to do. I also think yeah. that like I'm gonna say that like if this book is not keeping this person like they're starting a book and they can't finish it, it's probably not the book for them. Yeah. I think that they should stop the book and they should figure out what they like because maybe they're also reading books based on if they're watching this number of booktubers or something mm-hmm. and these booktubers are like you must read this book and read you know 400 pages a day or whatever i think that you should figure out what you like there is a book for everyone there uh-huh. is a book yeah. that you will not be able to put down yes and i think it truly is and if you're able to put it down it's probably not the book for you yeah yeah that's my advice what do you think mallory I think this person needs to unplug from the bookish world for a little bit. Get um, rid of that YouTube. I f- yeah. feel I find that I feel like this the most when I'm most act- most active on social media and I'm seeing all the amazing books come out and I'm like that's when you start to get a little overwhelmed when you're like oh my god I'm not going to be able to read all these books in time yeah. before I die. Um and you and you start to get stressed out, and that's when you start to go like, oh, I know I'm reading this already. Ooh, but, the, but this book just came out, and I just got my pre-order in the mail. I mean, like, it's kind of like a fraught feeling. If yeah. I think if it's possible in this person's living arrangement, I would not keep your TBR in your reading area, which sounds mm. count- counterintuitive. Or your phone. Yeah, or yeah. anything. You know, I think having all these new unread books that are just like staring at you while you read is not doing you any favors. Because maybe if you put your book down to look at your phone, maybe you're in a part that isn't as exciting and you see this shiny new stack yes, of books, new books like, like with a ray of light of, coming of down hope, being, yes, and you're uh-huh. like, oh. I think maybe keeping the reading area as distraction-free as yeah. possible mm-hmm. might help this person get through their whatever book they're reading. Because I maybe they're just easily distracted. My boyfriend's like that. He, I 
like listening to music. I can read when there's a hockey game on. Ugh, Jer- my boyfriend is not like that. If there's other books, he can't listen to any music. He has to be like focused mm. in, and maybe that's what this person is like. I, I think, think I have to do that too. Get rid of YouTube. Whatever's yes. happening on YouTube. <laughs> Bri is very this mad is at these weird booktubers. Thing. Well, I just think it's weird that they said they said uh, that YouTube is stressing me out about reading a certain number of pages a day. Yeah, it's not like following an exercise regimen. Yeah, I guess yeah. maybe some people are treating it as such. Yeah, and look, if you are look, if you're in college and you have to get through a certain number of books, fine. That that makes sense. But like, I've, but the goal of being a reader is not to read as many books as you possibly can. It's right. to enjoy the books that you're reading and get something out of them. Hundred percent. Yeah. So if you're reading, if you're reading multiple books because you want to have as many books read as possible, unless you're like a professional reader, <laughs> yeah. I, which I guess we kind of are. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you don't need to do that just yeah. you you need to start i think this person read needs to start, what you dig yeah mm-hmm. like this person needs to start focusing on at, like enjoying themselves yeah the, the and don't worry yourself. about people saying oh this is serious literature and this is not yeah mm-hmm. what do you like you, so what if you like dan brown i mean <laughs> no but seriously so what yeah. if you yeah, do sure. Sure. it's like i i truly I think like da vinci code yeah i, I mean like i didn't <laughs> but i could see why people did and it makes me think like if this is the thing that gets you reading mm-hmm. yeah great i i loved boxcar children when i was a kid mm-hmm. i don't think i'd like it as much now although i we neither of us have tested that theory we haven't <laughs> i haven't seen a boxcar kid book in a long time i'm gonna oh go on a God. second date with both of you and hand you both box boxcar children <laughs> Oh my god! You gotta highlight it. You gotta highlight yeah, it. Will highlight it. It will be highlighted in the important I would, ones. I would be very impressed if a, I thought. I would think that was very charming if a if guy someone got that. It would be very charming, actually. Yeah, that would be really way cute. better than. I would head. probably sleep with them on the second date. <laughs> uh, I would be like, oh hey, everybody, write that down. I'm not Hit, single. Calm tip. down. Calm down. Hot Mallory. Tip. <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Yeah, get out the slide whistle. Hot Mallory tip. <laughs> Bring your boxcar children. Mallory, people are going to show up to your to your signings and they're don't, going to have... Don't do that. Have boxcar children. <laughs> Please, my boyfriend is at add most of this stuff with me. <laughs> but it uh, might be a good way to get some boxcar children books yeah, for us true. to read yes, and yes, see true. how they hold up. If you want us to solve your reader problem, send us an email at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our wonderful moths who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, you can buy reading glasses, totes, shirts, stickers, mugs, all kinds of cool shit over at our Void Merch store. There's a link in the show notes. And if you like the show and you're like, man, these ladies are so great, I want to do something free for them that really helps them out, you can rate and review us on that podcast listening app of your choice. It's great for us and helps us reach more listeners. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at readinggpodcast on instagram at readingglassespodcast thanks for listening and thanks Thanks for for reading. reading